Hello there, and welcome to this next episode of What You May Have Miffed. Last week we took our first step inside Belgium and its folklore, and this week we are staying on the same continent. We have been here before, and we will be here again before this series is done, but we have only explored this land's mythology. This week we are sticking to folklore, and today it comes from Norway. Yes, indeed, Norway. The land of fjords, Odin, Vikings, winter sports, and designed, of course, by the award-winning Slarty Bartfast. We have already been here twice, once for a story of Thor's visit to Jotunheim, and in the very first episode where we explored the creation of the world as told by the Norse people. But, as I said, we are looking at folklore this week, but I promise you that it is no less entertaining than their mythology. Whilst you're listening, you may have a question or two, but rather than holding it in, you can ask me either on Instagram or TikTok, or you can email me at themythspodcast at gmail.com. Right, now that said, let's get stuck in, shall we? The Giant Who Had No Heart in His Body Once upon a Tuesday, there was a rather productive king who had seven sons. He loved his sons so much that he was incapable of being separate from them all at the same time, so one always had to remain with him. So for many years the king lived whilst always in the company of at least one of his sons. But eventually the time came that six of the lads were of an age to be married and settled, which would leave only the youngest. So the king kept his youngest son at home, and ordered the other six to head out into the world and bring back seven princesses to the palace. Before they left, the king gave them six sets of the finest clothes that were so dazzling that the light glancing off them could be seen from many miles away. Each brother climbed onto their own very expensive horse and set off. It took a short while, but eventually, after visiting many palaces and seeing many princesses, they came upon another king who, just as luck would have it, had six daughters. They were the loveliest ladies they had ever laid eyes upon, and so each brother set about their wooing. How they went about doing their wooing, I'm not sure, but one would like to suppose it involved the traditional methods of flowers, dinner at a fancy restaurant, and a moonlit walk along the beach. But sadly, that doesn't normally happen in these kind of stories, does it? Usually it's the king being paid to give his daughters to a wealthy prince, rather than actual love. Anyway, the hands of the king's lovely daughters were soon given to the six princes, and the troop of a dozen set off back to their father's palace. But there was a problem. The brothers, in their infatuation, had completely forgotten that they had been ordered to bring seven princesses home. One for each of them, and their youngest brother, Boots. Yes, you heard that right. The king named his youngest son boots. Whilst they were pondering this rather annoying predicament that they had landed themselves in, they passed a very steep hill where a monstrous giant dwelt. Hearing them trundle on by, the giant came out of his hole and saw the twelve travellers. 
given that they had disturbed his sleep, he quickly turned them all, princes and princesses both, into stone. I can sympathise. Back at his palace, the king waited for the return of his sons. And he waited. And he waited. But they never came. The wait became so insufferably long that he began to wonder if he would ever see them again, and thus if he would ever be happy again. Over breakfast on the thirty-fourth morning of their absence, the king, now beginning to believe that his sons would never return, turned to Boots and said, If you were not here by my side, then I would not be living. So saddened am I at their loss. Well, father, for a few days now I've been wanting to ask your leave so I may go and look for them. No! No, my son, I shall not grant you your wish. If you left, you would never return to me either. But Boots loved his brothers dearly and had his heart set on returning them home. And so he begged and begged his father until the king finally relented. My dear boy, I have no fine horse to give you. Your brothers took them all when they left me. The only horse I have left for you is this old fellow. The horse was indeed very old and time-worn. If anything, it looked as though it would keel over at any moment. But this did not seem to bother Boots. Thank you, father. I promise you that I shall return and I will bring all my brothers with me. And off he rode over the horizon. For some time Boots rode his old mount until he came across a raven sitting in the middle of the road. It tried to fly out of his way, its wings flapping pathetically, but it was no good. It was starving and had no energy to move. And then, of course, it spoke. Yes, this is one of those tales with talking animals. Ah, my friend, please, I need only a little food. If you could give me some, I shall help you whenever you should have need of me. I have very little in the way of food myself, and if I'm honest, I can't really see how you could help me on my quest. But I shall spare you a little of what I have. So Boots gave the raven some of his food. Boots left the raven and continued on his way. Up ahead he heard a small stream running, and knowing that he needed to refill his water skin, he went off to find the water. When he came to the bank, he found a salmon had washed up onto a dry bit of the shore, unable to get back into the stream. Ah, dear sir, please throw me back into the water, and should you have need of my services, I should be glad to help you in any way I can. I can't imagine that you could help me much, being a fish and all, but of course I shall get you back into the water. So Boots tossed the salmon back into the water, and then continued on his way once more. Soon Boots's path was blocked by a wolf. It was laid across the road, but it was so thin that it could not stand as he approached. My friend, please give me your horse. I have not eaten a morsel for nigh on two years. I shall surely perish if you do not help me. If I give you my horse, I shall have nothing left. I gave food to a raven, I've just helped a salmon back into the river, and now you want my horse. If you take it, then I shall have nothing to ride on, and my quest shall surely be all but over. No. Ah, my dear friend, I shall help you myself. Your horse will return my strength to me, and so I will be able to carry you wherever it is you desire to venture. You are looking for your brothers, yes? I can take you to them. Oh, very well. You can have my horse. Yes, I was just as shocked at this turn of events as you may well be. After the horse had been devoured by the wolf, whose name was Greylegs, Boots placed the saddle and bags on the wolf's back and climbed on. 
The speed that the wolf set off at was so great that Boots was clinging onto the saddle for dear life. Trees whipped by and soon they were in open ground and galloping faster than any horse could dream of. "'We have but a little further to charge,' Greylegs called over the wind, whistling in Boots' ears. "'The giant's house is just on the other side of this plain, in the hills.' The wolf began to slow, then stopped. "'Here we are, the giant's house.' Do you see those statues? Those are your brothers and their brides. But worry not. Through that door is the way to go. What? No, I shall surely be killed if I go through there. I said do not worry, my friend. Go through that door and you will find the princess. She'll tell you what to do and how you can defeat the giant. But you must do as she tells you. The wolf's powers of persuasion worked well once again, although Boots does seem to be quite easily led, to be fair. Boots crept forward towards the door, terrified at what he might find on the other side. But the wolf had spoken true. There was nothing but the most lovely princess sat in the room on the other side of the door. The princess was surprised by the sudden appearance of Boots. "'Goodness! What are you doing here? You'll be killed! I have come to slay the giant and return my brothers and their brides. No one can kill the giant, you moron! He has no heart!' "'Oh!' Well, I suppose I'm here now and may as well give it a shot. And if I succeed, I shall rescue you too. At that moment, the sound of very large footsteps reached them, booming closer and closer. Quick, get under the bed and stay as quiet as you can, said the princess. Keep your ears open and your mouth shut. Boots crawled under the bed and lay as still as a doornail. The door of the room opened again and in banged the monstrous giant. He sniffed. "'What are you sniffing for?' the princess inquired rather boldly. "'Man-flesh! I smell a human in here!' "'Well, yes, I am human.' "'Not you. Different from you. A man.' "'Oh, yes, that. Well, a magpie flew past earlier carrying an arm bone. He dropped it down the chimney and I tried to get it out as quickly as I could, but, you know, the smell just stayed.' She was so convincing in her tale that the giant believed her without a second thought and said no more about it. For a long time Boots lay under the bed, staying as silent as possible. He listened to the princess and the giant all through the evening and well into the night until they climbed into bed. "'I would like to ask you a question, as it is something I have long wondered, my dear,' said the princess to the giant. "'And what would that something be?' Where do you keep your heart if it is not in your body? Well, that's not really any of your business now, is it? But you hold my trust, so I shall tell you. It is under the door sill. At these words, Boots almost moved, such was his excitement. But he remembered the princess's words and remained still for the entire night. The following morning, the giant hauled himself out of bed at an unreasonably early hour and ventured off into the woods. The moment the door was closed behind him, the princess appeared in the gap between bed and floor and helped Boots climb out. He was awfully stiff from remaining stationary for so long, but he shook himself out and the pair began in earnest to find the giant's heart. They dug and they dug, but they could not find his heart anywhere under the door sill. "'Blast!' said the princess. "'I shall have to try again tonight.' She used flowers to disguise the digging they had done, and Boots buried himself under the bed once more. As the giant came through the door, he
He was sniffing once again. I smell human man flesh again. Who is in here? He boomed. Just I, my love, replied the princess sweetly. I have still been struggling to remove the smell of that bone that magpipe threw down the chimney yesterday. The giant believed her again and said no more on the matter. That night, as the pair were lying in bed, the giant asked, Why are there flowers strewn over the door sill? Well, I lay them there. So fond of you am I that I wanted to lay them there over your heart. The giant was touched by this gesture. Ah, I see. Well, truth be told, it does not lie there. It is actually in that cupboard against the wall. Again, Boots's ears pricked up at this admission. That's tomorrow sorted, then, he thought to himself as the pair above him fell asleep. Once more the giant awoke outrageously early and went off into the woods, leaving Boots and the princess to search the cupboard on the wall. But once again they were unable to locate the wretched heart. Well, shoot. Once more. I will try it one more time, said the princess. To hide the evidence of their searching, the princess laid more flowers on the cupboard, and again Boots clambered under the bed. Sniff, sniff came the giant's nose through the door. I smell man-flesh, he said, by way of greeting. Still just me and that awful smell from the bone the other day, my love, was the princess's reply, and again the giant believed her. Then he noticed the cupboard. Why is the cupboard laden with so many flowers? Because I could not help myself when I knew that was where your heart lay. You really believed that? he asked, perplexed. Well, of course, you told me, so why should I not believe you? You goose! Where my heart is, you will never come. That is a shame. It would be truly wonderful to know where it lies. The giant was touched even more by this show of affection. Very well. Far, far away in a lake lies an island. On that island stands a church. In that church is a well. In that well swims a duck. In that duck there is an egg. And in that egg, there lies my heart. Before the sun rose, the giant was out the door and into the woods. Boots hauled himself out from under the bed and said to the princess, I should be off too. I shall make for the church and destroy the giant's heart. Then I shall return for you and my brothers. Outside, Greylegs was waiting for him, the saddle still strapped to his back. Boots told the wolf what the giant had said about the island, and the beast set off at great speed to this far, far away island. For many a day they travelled past great mountains, vast deserts, and deep, dark forests, until at last they came to a great black lake. Well, that's that. I've been told that wolves hate water. Surely you cannot get me to the island, can you? Boots asked the wolf. Do not be too hasty to discount my worth, my friend. Never underestimate anything until you have seen it with your own two eyes. And with that, Greylegs sprang from the shore into the icy water and started to paddle his way to the island, an astounded boots clinging to his back. For some time they swam, but eventually they made it to the island on which sat a little church. There was a slight problem, though. The keys to the church were hung high above the door where neither wolf nor boy could reach. You told me about that raven you helped, yes? Call him. He will aid us. Boots had barely called out for the bird when the raven came cawing towards them. 
In a moment the keys were off their high hook and in Boots' hand. He jammed the key into the lock and pushed the door open. There wasn't much in the church past the pews and the altar, but sat in the centre of the room was a well, and bobbing on the water, deep down in the well, was a duck. "'How do I get down there?' Boots said. "'I will hold on to your legs, young prince. I shall lower you down far enough so as you can reach the duck.' So they did just that. The wolf took Boots' trouser legs in his mouth and lowered the boy down into the well. Boots succeeded in persuading the duck to come to him, and he called for Greylegs to haul them up. But just as Boots and the duck cleared the edge of the well and were back in the church, an egg fell from the duck and landed with a plop back in the water. How do... Little man, use your brain. The raven and I have both been of service to you. Who else owes you something? The salmon! Exactly! After only a moment of calling him, the salmon was inside the well and fetching the egg for Boots. Now squeeze the egg, yes? Boots squeezed, and they all started as a roar, agonised and full of anger, sounded. It was as if the giant was outside the church itself. Squeeze it again, harder this time. Boots did so, and the giant's roar was more pitiful. Ah, it sounds like it is working. Order him to return your brothers and their brides to life, and that if he does so, you will spare him. Restore my brothers and their brides, and you shall be allowed to spend the rest of your life in exile, Boots called out into the church. So be it, they heard the giant scream. Good, now squeeze it again as hard as you can. Boots looked at the wolf. I just promised him he would be allowed to live. Do you really think he will listen? Now squeeze. Boots squeezed the egg as hard as he could. There was one more agonised bellow from the giant, and then silence. Many miles away, the giant had burst, just as the egg did. Greylegs carried Boots back to the giant's house, where they discovered the giant had indeed restored his brothers and their brides back to life. Boots led the way home, his new princess by his side, his brothers and their princesses beside them riding at the rear. The king was overjoyed when he saw all his sons return, and ordered that the most magnificent feast should be produced to celebrate their return. The feast was spectacular. All the brothers sat with their wives, but the king saved two special seats for Boots and the princess at the very top table to honour them for their remarkable triumph over the giant. There was food, merry-making, lots of wine and beer. There was dancing and music. Some people fought and made their ancestors proud, but then they would return to their drinking and merrymaking. And as far as I'm aware, they are still partying to this day. Well, there we are for another week. What did you make of Boots and his story? Like I said at the beginning, I don't think these kinds of stories are any less entertaining than the tales told in mythology, and sometimes they are even more so. Did you have any questions on your mind whilst you were listening? If you did, remember that you can ask me on Instagram or TikTok, where you'll find me under What You May Have Mythed, or you can email me at themythspodcast at gmail.com. And remember that there are shorter episodes coming out after this series, so drop me a message if there is a particular tale or historical story you would like to hear about. For now, though, I shall leave you until next week, when we are bringing dragons back. So you shall hear me then, for the next episode of What You May Have Mythed. Thank you.